excuse me, 1982. In 1982, my wife Gloria and I, two heathens, were looking for someone to perform an outdoor wedding for us. We were led to Pastor David Rosales, who was pastoring Calvary Chapel, Ontario at that time. And there was a, a, a guy by the name of Randy Walls who was serving with Pastor David back then. And after we gave our lives to Jesus, I was thinking about this today, Randy was one of the first Christians that we met besides David Rosales. And um, I was thinking about that today, and I remember vividly just thinking about that era and the peace of God that we saw in Randy and Pastor David, you know, and Gloria and I were, were desperate for that. And, and we saw this peace of Christ in them, and we just wanted that for ourselves. And uh, it's an honor, it's a, it's a blessing to have Randy here to come and share with us the word of God tonight. Um, it's pretty amazing to think of where we've come from after all these years. In, 19, in January of 1993, Pastor Randy began a home fellowship in Upland. On the first day of that scheduled Bible study that he was going to have, there was an El Nino rainstorm that flooded the streets. And they fl it flooded so badly that there was a man who drowned uh, trying to leave his car under the, the 10 freeway as his car stalled. And Randy sat in his office and he asked the Lord, Why, Lord? Why the rain? Nobody is going to come out for a Bible study tonight. It's crazy out there. But as it turned out, rain couldn't stop God's work. And that night, 50 people showed up to hear the word of God. And that evening, Calvary Chapel of Upland launched their first Bible study. Why don't we welcome Pastor Randy Walls. I was actually thinking the same thing when I was sitting there. I was thinking, what year was that? I knew it had to be like 83, 82, 1982. Yeah. I mean, you should have seen him and Gloria at that time. We, we, I don't want to embarrass you, bro, but no, I do. I do want to embarrass you. We, we called them Pixie and Dixie. <laughs> yeah, David and Marie, especially Marie does, huh? Yeah, long time ago. God bless you, bro. Thank you. Boy, that takes us back. Takes us back. 34 years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I guess it won't be too long before they're going to be saying, eh, to each other. They're coming up on 60 years of marriage in about 25 years or so, I guess. So good to see you guys tonight. How are you all? It's great to be here. Uh, Straight from uh, Upland, just uh, came down to 210 to be here with you guys, and it's awesome to, always awesome to be here with you. Uh, and uh, with uh, Pastor Xavier and uh, uh, Tony and their families and uh, the church there in, in Israel, uh, I, I was asking uh, Pastor Mario earlier, how many were able to go? And he said 26 or something like that, 28, 26, 28. Uh, wow, that, that's great. I mean, it's a lot of churches have trouble getting people to go, but uh, it's a blessing that so many from this church went. And you guys are going to hear some great, wonderful stories about 
just the richness of being in Israel. And I would really encourage you, um, start putting your, your nickels and dimes and quarters away. You know, it's expensive. It is. It's a lot of money to go, but so worth it. So worth it. You know, definitely a trip to Israel better than buying a car. You know, of course, I mean, a trip to Israel is not going to get you to work. However, I think you know what I mean. It's uh, just a rich, richest blessing. I encourage you guys to be able to go if you can. Okay. Um, great to be here with you. I have, uh, on Sunday mornings in our church, we've been doing a series on uh, pursuing holiness. And I wanted to do one of those studies with you uh, this, this evening. So if you guys would open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read from that passage, beginning in verse 12 of Hebrews 12, focusing in on one particular portion of that passage. Before we, uh, well, let's go ahead and read. Um, would you mind standing with me? Something that I like to do is just to stand as we read God's word, as we remember uh, Ezra uh, doing the same thing uh, for hours at a time, not just a few minutes. But uh, if, you, if you could stand and follow along as I read Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 12 through verse 16. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Father, I pray that you would just have your way in our hearts as we consider this concept of holiness, that we are to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I pray that your spirit would be here with us, that he would be our teacher tonight, that he would lead us into your truth, that he would give us understanding. We are helpless to know and understand without his help. So God, thank you for him. Have your way in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. When I was a, a young Christian, I got saved in 1973. Um, when I was a young Christian, probably several years after that, in fact, uh, as, I'm, as I'm remembering, I started going to uh, Calvary Chapel um, Ontario when it was birthed in 1981, not long after, not, not long before Pixie and Dixie started coming around. Um, <laughs> um, it was right around that time, right around that time, I was introduced to a book that was written by uh, a, a believer by the name of Jerry Bridges. You guys know Jerry Bridges' name? Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, wrote a, uh, after that a book, Practice of Godliness, and, and a series of books. But that book, The Pursuit of Holiness, just really grabbed my heart. And, and the Lord has used that book over the years in my heart and in my life as I consider my relationship with the Lord Jesus and 
the desire that he has placed in my heart to follow after him, uh, to, to please him, to give him honor and glory in my life. And that book was a part of that. Uh, I, I would highly recommend that book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, to anyone who wants to step up your walk with the Lord Jesus. And if you, haven't, if you have read it before, if it's been 10, 15, 20 years since you've read it, read it again. I, uh, I am regularly going through that book with, with some um, people that I might be discipling uh, because it is such a powerful, powerful book to, to teach us and train us and encourage us, inspire us to walk hard after the Lord, to truly pursue his holiness. And uh, I'm taking thoughts from that book in this series. I was thinking, you know, after all these years, and this book has meant so much to me, and I've shared it so often with people, I've actually not done a series on holiness in and of itself. Usually going through books of the Bible, right? And I've done a series on that. But I thought, you know, Lord, yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like he led, led us to do that. And it's been getting some good response uh, from, from the people at church. But I just want to share some thoughts from this book or actually from this, this topic and this passage and a number, number of other passages we'll be looking at here uh, this evening. We see this 14th verse here in chapter 12 of Hebrews, which again says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You know, this gives us an idea of the importance of holiness. When we see the Lord speaking to us by God's Spirit through, through the New Testament here in Hebrews, that without peace, no, excuse me, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, that, that tells me, doesn't it tell you that this is kind of an, of an, an important thing? This idea of holiness, whatever that may be, whatever that means. But you know, just the idea of holiness, the word holiness can conjure up different images in our minds, um, I, I think of, well, okay, the church lady, right? Wearing the, the, those uh, cat rim glasses and the bun and, and, and the, uh, uh, just dressed in such a way that, you know, the white gloves and everything. And just this being holy, that, that church person. And so often... You know, so often, to, I, I think to me when I, I think of this word and what, think, what I think that others might see that word as, it just conjures up this idea of, you know, the, the uh, right, righteousness, self-righteousness and, and legalism and just acting a certain way because you go to church and that kind of a thing. And, and while we should act a certain way because we go to church, it's not really because we go to church, but because we belong to the Lord. He's the one that changes our hearts. And as our hearts are changed, the things that we do become changed. You know, some people think about the idea of holiness and and you might picture a guy saying, well, you know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You know, I mean, something like that. I mean, this this whole thing of holiness, I mean, a long list of do's and don'ts, the regulations and all. Yet the Apostle Paul writes to us through the in, in Colossians that that he has done away 
with that list of regulations. It's the reality of our sins being nailed to the cross. We have been forgiven for our sins. We've been made right with God because of what Jesus did for us. And we identify with Jesus' death on the cross. And yet we ourselves, we die there as well. And so because we die there and allow God's life to live in us and through us, it is pursuing that particular lifestyle. Pursuing holiness means pursuing that which God has now given us. And it's really living according to what we now are. We're no longer what we were. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, behold, all things have been made new. And so it is that idea of pursuing that particular lifestyle. And, and as we go through this tonight, I, I, I just pray that we all, all will leave from here with maybe a little bit better understanding of what holiness is and how we are to um, allow that to be seen in our lives. Not just simply allowing it, but to actually pursue it, to actually chase after this thing that we call holiness, that God may be glorified in our lives. Amen. You know, the word holy or some form of that word holy occurs over 600 times in the scriptures, over 600 times. Here we see it in Hebrews 12, 14. Another place in the New Testament that is quite prominent in the sense of where this is found is First Peter 1 in verses 14 through 16. You might turn there. But those two verses say this. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, right? You're a new creation. So not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We have who have been saved and called to faith in. We've been saved by and called to faith in a holy God. Are called to be holy because he is holy. It is a very, very important part of who we are and what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. This idea of holiness really speaks about being set apart. The... Uh, Noun form of the word in the Greek language is hagiosmos, which basically means uh, consecration or purification. It's the effect of consecration. The, the, and the consecration basically meaning dedicated to a sacred purpose. When we consecrate ourselves, we are dedicating our lives to a sacred purpose, dedicated to that purpose in God turning away from our old life and turning to God himself. It's it's similar to the idea of repentance, but it is setting ourselves up in that place where we are determining that we are going to follow after Christ. We are going to allow Christ to live through us. We are going to seek Christ's likeness in everything we, we say, everything we do, every place we go, the people that we hang with, and, and what we do with those particular people. All of that in regard to being set apart. It's that sanctification of heart and life. 
It's living the sanctified life. But again, this idea of sanctification really is nothing more or nothing less than becoming more like Jesus. Which is a real simple way to remember that. Just becoming more and more like Jesus. So if we are to pursue holiness, we are pursuing that kind of a lifestyle. But guys, we cannot pursue that lifestyle apart from pursuing God himself. We've got to remember that being a Christian isn't isn't just living a certain way. We live a certain way because we are a Christian. But being a Christian means having a relationship with Jesus and pursuing him, pursuing him to deepen that relationship, to know him better, to love him more deeply, to be more committed to him, to follow him more closely, to, to live our lives in such a way that because we love him, we want to see him honored and glorified in our lives. Vine's Dictionary of, of New, New Testament Words defines holiness as separation to God and the conduct befitting those who are so separated. Being set apart, that's the idea, being separated. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you're in 1 Corinthians, you're real close. 2 Corinthians 6. Beginning in verse 14 in that passage, we see this idea of separation as Paul is writing to the Corinthians here. He writes, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. So we see all those questions. What do all these things have in common? And these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. These are rhetorical questions, of course, right? And the answer to each each one of them is, well, uh, none. That's the answer to these questions. And so this whole idea of being unequally yoked carries along with it. Why would we be yoked to someone who has nothing in common with us? Whether that's yoked in marriage, so often we see this interpreted, especially in marriage, and it definitely applies there. If there are any uh, in here, any believers in here who are not yet married, and you become attracted to somebody who you know is not a Christian, run away from them, not to them. Run away. Because if you allow your heart to get linked with theirs, You're going to start falling in love. That's what happens when boys and girls get together. And you're going to find yourself emotionally tied to someone who God does not want you to spend the rest of your life with. Then we can get to this idea of, well, I'll I'll, I'll bring her to Christ before I marry her. I mean, that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's, no, that's not that's not that's not God's heart. That's not his will. Going on here, continuing on here, verse 16. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This idea of separation. Holiness basically means that we are set apart from everything that is not of God. We are set apart from this world. Set it apart from the way, set apart from the way we used to be before we got right with God. Set apart from sin. Set apart from all that is not of the Lord. In uh, Isaiah 55, turn there real quick with me. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Those two verses, I think, give us a really good idea of what holiness is. Without using the word. Or any word that is really linked. Or any form of the word holy or holiness. But we see in that passage, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, that Isaiah writes, as the Lord speaks through him, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, this describes God's holiness And him being separate and set apart from us. All of his ways and all of his thoughts are far beyond, far above ours. He is so different than the way we are. By nature, especially, right? And as he has placed his spirit in us, as he is doing his work through his word and transforming us and changing us, we are becoming more like him. But you know, it's, it's like the closer we get, the, more, the, the further we realize we truly are as we see him. And so that's what holiness is, that set-apartedness, if you will, if that's a word. We see the idea of God's holiness there. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, chapter, or verse 14, we see the word pursue. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The word pursue there is a word that can be pretty colorful here in the New Testament. You know, it's almost almost on a weekly basis, sometimes actually several times a week, we'll turn on the 11 o'clock news and there's a police pursuit. There's a police car or a number of police cars following another car. It may have been stolen or involved in some kind of a crime or something. And it's normally not a high-speed pursuit. Normally slower, 30, 35 miles an hour. Sometimes they'll get on the freeway, and sometimes they are going like 90, 100 miles an hour on the freeway. That changes from time to time. But these pursuits, and, well, you have the police pursuing a driver that they want to catch up to, that they want to stop so they can deal with them. That's the pursuit. Um, The word in the New Testament basically means to put to flight or pursue. But you know, that same word is more often translated in the New Testament with the English word persecute. In the same way that that Saul of Tarsus was 
pursuing or persecuting the Christian church at that time. Even as he was on, on his way to Damascus to do the same with those that were called of the way at that particular point in time. He was going after them. He was going to put them in jail. He was not going to allow them to proclaim that this man who was from Nazareth named Jesus was actually the Messiah. He was so far against that. He did not believe it. He believed he was serving God in doing so, and he was persecuting them. But that's how that word is used. Paul used that exact same word that is translated as persecute in Acts 26.11 when he said, that I, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them or pursued them even to foreign cities. And in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, he said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted or pursued the church of God. Now, Saul of Tarsus was exceedingly enraged and persecuted the church. That gives us a picture of the strength of this word. It's not just lackadaisically following after. It is following hard after. It is giving chase. It is doing everything we can to lay hold of that individual whom we are pursuing. Not slowing down, not letting any space gather between us, but getting closer and closer and closer. That's the pursuit. And in our pursuit of God and pursuit of his holiness, that's really how we need to look at it. Another way that that word is translated is by the word press. And we see that used twice by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, we see him using these words. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, I pursue, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the word pursue. So when we think of pursuing holiness, that is the effort we are to make. That is the vigor we are to use. It's not a casual thing. Pursuing God and pursuing his holiness is not just a casual kind of a thing that we as, as Christians do once in a while because, well, we probably ought to. It is a command and it is a very strong word. Chasing after, um, putting to flight. If it would seem that God is running from you, chase him down. I mean, that kind of a thing. Pursuing. Holiness is not an optional thing for us, guys. We at times might think so. But holiness is not optional. Now, when we talk of holiness, one thing we do have to make sure that we all understand is that there are two different kinds of holiness that really apply to our lives as Christians. One is that God has given us 
His holiness in the sense that we are in Christ Jesus holy, even as he is holy, positionally speaking. In the way that God looks at us, in the way that God sees us, we are indeed made righteous. And righteousness is not the same as holiness, but they are closely related. But it's the idea of we are not what we once were because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so we have his holiness from a positional perspective. We, we, we were here. God saves us. He washes us clean with the blood of Jesus. And now we're placed here. Closer to him. We are set apart unto him. Positionally. But then there's the aspect of our practical lives that we live. We all know that we are still sinners. We're sinners saved by the grace of God, right? I'll say that again. We're sinners saved by the grace of God, right? Yeah, you guys can participate a little bit when I ask a question like that. It's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're saved by the grace of God, but we still have sin within us. As God places his spirit within us, we are that new creation, but still that, that old man is still there, that, that, that sinful flesh is still in there. And, and we live our lives every day wanting to follow after the things of the Spirit and hearing the Spirit of God in us, reading the Word of God and, and, and seeing and hearing what the Word of God has to say to us and following that rather than following the dictates of our, of our heart, which naturally is wicked and deceitful above all things, as Jeremiah writes. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I have come to learn that I can't trust myself when it comes to spiritual things. I can't trust myself. I've got to go to the Word of God. I've got to allow the Word of God to dictate my life. I've got to be led by the Spirit as He informs me of the Word of God, interprets the Word of God for me. I've got to go to the Spirit of God. And, 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 and to the word of God. So I've got to do that if I'm going to live my life in such a way that I become, I'm actually behaving more and more like what God actually has made me to be. I used to be totally and completely sinful. That sin's still in me. I have the life of God in me now. He's made me a new creation. And in that newness, that's what I want to follow after. And so the change takes I pursue that. But I need God's help to do it. I need God's help to do it. But it, that, that difference between the positional holiness and the, and the practical holiness, you know, it's just there. And prayerfully, as I walk with the Lord, it's, it's like this. I'm getting closer and closer and closer. Positionally here, practically down here. Getting closer and closer. Prayerfully, that's how my life is going and yours as well. Interestingly, in Ephesians 1.4, we see something that... It's an interesting thought that we see here. Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us in him, we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's when you were chosen. But look at this. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This verse tells me that 
God's purpose in choosing me is to make me holy and without blame. We think that God chooses us in order that we might go to heaven. Well, that's a very wonderful thing that happens to us when we're chosen by him, yes. And I would not say that that's not at least a part of his purpose. Because certainly one thing God wants of you is for you to be with him through all eternity. That's why he gave his son for you. He wants to fellowship with you through all eternity. But this holiness is something that is extremely important. We find that sin will separate the believer from fellowship with God. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. One of the things that we might experience, we might go through a, a period in our lives where it just feels like God's not, not close, feels like he's not answering our prayers, feels like we're praying our prayers and they're just bouncing off of the ceiling. Have we considered whether or not there is some sin in our own life that God is wanting to deal with and we're just simply not listening to him? And we've got this thing hidden in, in, our, in, in the inner chambers of our heart in this little special closet that we love to go into once in a while. Is it that? Is that the reason we feel somehow estranged from God? It could very well be. And walking in holiness also is linked to a life of usefulness to God. In 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, there's a series of sins that are mentioned. If anyone cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, there's that word, made holy, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If you want to be used by God, you must seek and pursue a life of practical holiness if you want to be used by God. We also see that there is a sense of assurance in our relationship with Jesus when we are doing, living the life that we know he wants us to. In 1 John 3.18, and forward. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You see, when we are loving in deed and in truth and not just simply in word or in tongue, then we know we're of the truth and our hearts are assured before Christ. Going on, it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Is it not true? Perhaps many of you, if not all of you, have gone through this in at least one period of your life where you know you've just been blowing it. 
spiritually. In sin, you haven't been saying no to sin. You've been giving in. And it's gotten you down. Maybe even a bit depressed. Because you just simply don't feel right about it. You can even feel like, man, I, God can't even love me anymore if I am living my life like this. It, it's this condemnation that comes. This condemnation that comes to us from our own hearts. But if we are walking right with the Lord and we're on one of, the, on one of those places where we're, we're involved in service and the Lord's speaking to us and we're hearing and, and, and we're um, helping people who have need, uh, whatever it may be, and we're feeling good about that, that helps us to feel assured with God. That is very true. So our assurance has something to do with this. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. A couple of passages in that chapter. In fact, I would encourage you guys to actually read the first 14 verses. Bless you. Read the first 14 verses of this chapter later on. Don't have time to do all that right now. But a couple of passages in here that I think are, are, are really key. Verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. I mentioned identifying with the death of Christ on the cross. He took our sin upon himself. He, he was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in, in becoming that righteousness, we, we have identified with him because our sins were nailed to that tree. We died on that tree. Our, our, our old man was on that tree. Paul, you know, when Paul says, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, He's he's not like some people might think that he's saying that his dad was one of the thieves crucified next to Jesus. You guys didn't get that at all, did you? His old man. No, not at all. Our old man, he's speaking about that old nature, the old man within him. Crucified with him. And if that indeed has taken place, we see here... Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Have you guys discovered that sin can, can hold a, a very powerful hold on us? Sin itself can hold a very powerful uh, sway in, in, our, in our lives. And as we reckon ourselves as dead, as we acknowledge the reality that we are dead. We have died to sin. This passage tells us that we have died to sin. It's not that we, we need to die to sin. We have died to sin. And we just said what we need to do is to live our lives accordingly. No Christian really can say, except that he or she may be greatly deceived. 
But no Christian can say that I can't stop sinning. Because what that Christian is saying is that God is not powerful enough to strengthen that person to stop sinning. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, is that true or is it not? I'll ask you again, is that true or is it not? It is absolutely true, isn't it? So God has given me the power to stop sinning. He's given me the power, the ability to walk in holiness, separateness, set-apartedness from the way that we used to live our lives. Having died to sin. And then down in verses 11 and 12. I mentioned this already, reckoning reckoning yourselves to be dead. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should should obey it in its lusts. Uh, As we consider that, this idea of reckoning, the word reckon is an accounting word. It's an accounting word. Any of you who may work with numbers, work in the office, work with books and stuff, it's an accounting word. You do that often. Basically what it means is putting the numbers in the right column. Acknowledging that, you know, we went out and bought something, that's an expense. Put it in the expense column. Oh, we got some money in. We got paid today. That's income. Put it in the income column. You know, that's reckoning. You are placing something where it belongs with a, when you reckon. And what this passage is telling us is that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Not that I can make myself dead to sin. Christ has made me dead to sin. And I just simply need to acknowledge it. And in his power, walk my life apart from sin, even as he did. Now, none of us do that perfectly, but again, prayerfully, we're doing it better all the time. Doing it better all the time. As the Beatles used to say, getting better all the time. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Note the term in which you once walked. And that is said because we no longer walk in that way. Colossians 1.13. Turn there with me. I want you to see this. This is extremely powerful. Look at this. Colossians 1.13. He has... Jesus Christ, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Into the kingdom of the son of his love. Guys, when you acknowledge your need for Christ. Because you wanted your sins forgiven. Because you want to go to heaven. You want to dwell with God forever. And you know that God 
brought it to you, showed you that your only hope was the blood of Jesus. When you acknowledge that and you accepted the payment of Christ to be sufficient payment for your sin, he placed his spirit within you. He transferred you from the power of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of the son of his love. You've been transferred. You, you moved. You switched kingdoms. There's been a change of kingdoms for you. You no longer are of the kingdom of Satan. You are now in the kingdom of God. And we're not, we're not waiting to enter into the kingdom of God when we go to heaven. We are in the kingdom of God now. We are part of the kingdom of God now. We're in the world, but not of it, of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is among us. We now are members of the kingdom of God. That's where we dwell now in a spiritual sense. You've been transferred. And so that's one of the, the things that we've got to understand and get into our minds, guys, when we think about this idea of holiness. Because I mean, you, you'll leave from here tonight. Many of you will go to work or go to school tomorrow or something. And, and, and you'll, you'll be with people who, well, people who you're with today earlier. Maybe you'll be with them tonight later. But who don't know Christ. They don't have his life in them. And they've got a different mindset, a different worldview, a different way of seeing things. And, and, their, and their desires are different. The things that they want to do are different. And the reason for that is because they are of, a, of the kingdom of this world. And these things are becoming stranger and stranger to you because you are of the kingdom of God. It's just simply supposed to be that way. And, and people, please, please do not fall into the trap of feeling that you, you want to be somehow included with these people. You, you may be one of, maybe the only one or one of a few true believers at your workplace. Don't try to fit in with those who are not true believers. Don't. It is, if you try to do that, it is going to be the beginning of a backsliding experience for you. Because we are commanded to pursue holiness. Not return to that old life like a dog to its vomit. But to pursue holiness. You've been transferred. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is our home. Isn't that a wonderful thing to remember? Heaven is our home. That's where we soon are going. Just recently, we've been going through some tough things in our church. Um, back on April 15th, a very dear friend of mine, my, my, in fact, my brother-in-law, uh, who was working at the church. Uh, he was on staff managing the office. Um, went home to be with the Lord. He was only, he was almost 59 years old. Almost 59 years old. He uh, had a lung disease. And they discovered it was actually cancer. Way too late. And by the time he was um, deemed to have cancer, lung, lung cancer, it was already at stage four. 
And uh, he actually uh, departed from this earth ten days after that. Happened real quickly. And my wife and I and, and have been saying things like, man, it's just so weird without Gary around. He's just not here. Many of you have experienced this. Many of you have experienced this. For me personally, this is the closest person uh, to me who has uh, gone to be with the Lord. And it's glorious that he's there. Uh, and I encouraged him in these things. In, in his last days, and in, in some of our final conversations that we had, you know, and, and he would say, yeah, I know, but I'm just so unworthy. And go, yeah, I know, we all are unworthy, but look where you're going to go, you know, this kind of thing. And it's such a wonderful, glorious thing. That's what, our, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. The reality that we are sinners, separated from God. Jesus took our sin upon himself, died in our place to remove our sin from us, that we can now be joined to God. And be with them forevermore. That's what it's all about. And in all of the, 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 the glory of where he is now and the joy of realizing that still our hearts ache because he's with the Lord now, but he's not with us. We miss him. It's just hard. And I can't imagine what Shar feels like, his wife, my wife's sister. I can't imagine how she feels. There may be a few widows or widowers here in the room now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's difficult. But you know what, though? These things we're talking about, the reality that, that, that our citizenship is in heaven, you see, this is why we have hope. And this is why, though, though tears may endure through the night, joy comes in the morning because of the work of Christ for us. Let's live that life in such a way that it's a picture of the change that Christ has made in us. A couple other things that I want to share before we close tonight. In this pursuit for a life of holiness, we, we have to battle. We have to fight. It's a battle. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, maybe you've said it yourself, man, I am my own worst enemy. And in our battle for holiness, that is exactly the case. We are our own worst enemy. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we find that Adam blamed Eve. It's the woman you gave me. Oh, he blamed God too. It's the woman you, by the way, gave me. Eve blamed the serpent. But God held both of them accountable. And however we may want to blame shift, we are accountable for our own sinfulness. But again, Jesus, he steps in and he says to us here, I'll take that sin from you. I'll pay the price for it so that you don't have to. Isn't that glorious? That's what he does. We are blamed for it, but he pays the price for it. And then we are freed and we are going to spend eternity with him and our Father and with the Holy Spirit forevermore and with all who name Christ as Savior. But here we see the, the, the reality. In, in, in Romans 7, verse 21, we see this verse. It says, I find then a law that evil is present with me. 
the one who wills to do, to do good. That seventh chapter, that, that classic chapter that, that talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Things I want to do, that's not what I'm doing. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He finds a law within himself, a present, a present with him, the one who wills to do good. I want to do good, but I can't. I want to do good, but I find myself not doing it. But if we find ourselves in the strength of the Spirit, we can. We have that struggle. It is our flesh. But we've got to learn to rely on the Spirit of God rather than our own strength. Jesus told the the three apostles who were with him in the garden praying at a distance from him, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those are truths that we've got to understand. We do have a weakness of flesh. And so we're going to fail from time to time. We are going to fail in our pursuing after holiness. And yet, we need to get ourselves up and get back on that walk again. Lord, forgive me for that. Fill me with your spirit. Strengthen me with, with him. Enable me to, to do better. Enable me to live a life that is going to be pleasing to you. But you know, God doesn't Leave us alone. And that's such a blessing that he gives us his spirit. He is with us. You know, one of the things, when we look at this sixth chapter of Romans, and I want to mention this quickly, we don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but there's the idea that that we have been united with him in life. We've been buried, verse 4, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We are united together with him in the likeness of his resurrection, with him in his resurrection power. Guys, listen. Being united with Christ means that we have all that he is. All of his power is ours in this pursuit of living a holy life. Think about that. Think about that. All that he is, we have. Colossians 1.11, we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Yes, we can become patient people because we have the power of God within us. How glorious that is. We've got to accept the reality of who we are now in Christ Jesus. In this battle, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in, in regard to this battle. To realize this in terms of the reality of God's spirit in us and his power in us to realize this takes away from us that old sense of hopelessness, which we have all known and felt because of the terrible power of sin. How does it work? It works in this way. I lose my sense of hopelessness because I can say to myself that not only am I no longer under the dominion of sin, but I am under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. Think about that. I am under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. However weak I may be, 
It is a power of God that is working in me. The power of God working in you and in me. What a wonderful promise that is. What a wonderful present reality that is. God at work in you. Anything he tells you to do, you can do it. How do we know? Because God's at work in you. And we can live that holy life before Christ, that he might be honored and glorified in all that we do. Amen? And Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts. We pray that you would do your work in us. Thank you for the presence of your spirit within us. Thank you for the hope that we have because of his enablement. God, we can become so frustrated. We can become so so bummed out, Lord, simply because of the struggle. But we thank you that in that struggle, we are reminded once again tonight that you are with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You have done your work. You've placed your spirit within us. We have his enablement, and we have received from you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so, God, help us, we pray. Come upon us now. Even as we sit before you, Lord, if if there may be some in this room who've been struggling with sin, perhaps even avoiding the, the, the thought of it as they might think of you, might They might be just rejecting your word that comes to them because they don't want to let go of that sin. Or perhaps they would give it up tonight. Have your way in every heart. Perhaps there are some in this room now who have not yet given their heart to Christ. They're still in bondage and under its dominion in their own lives. Tonight they've heard some things about how to be freed from that bondage and be given the hope of eternity with you. Lord, might they come to you. Might they give themselves over to you, allowing your payment on that cross to pay for their own sinfulness, that they might look to the reality of eternity in heaven with you. Have your way in every heart, we pray. Be glorified in each one, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, uh, before I, I step off, uh, I just want to let you know that there will be a couple people up here to pray for you. If you need some prayer along the lines of one of those things that I mentioned, or if you want to give your heart to Christ and begin to follow him, come up, share with them, and they'll, they'll pray with you and get you on that right path. God bless you. Have a great evening.